Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. The White House says the surprise production cut announced by OPEC over the weekend is not advisable given the market uncertainty. Then again, they didn't like the last one either, recalling the surprise cut in October that was seen to fly in the face of President Biden's mission to Saudi Arabia over the summer, the fist bump with MBS. This is what Secretary of State Antony Blinken said then. It was the 20th of October. The step that Saudi Arabia and the OPEC Plus organization took was one that was deeply unfortunate and also uh, deeply uh, misguided. Misguided, unfortunate. Fast forward to today and the surprise production cut now of another million barrels. Shock cut, as I read on the terminal, puts $100 a barrel on the horizon. The response today from John Kirby at the White House, speaking for the National Security Council a bit earlier in a conversation with reporters, quote, as I mentioned, not advisable, goes on to say, this is interesting, I'd say we're focused on moving ahead here on prices for American consumers, not barrels. I think, as you know, he goes on to say prices at the pump have come down significantly since last year. We're also just in a different place. Remembering, of course, barrels have prices and they're up. One is selling for more than $80 today. And that is where we start our conversation with Patrick DeHaan, the first name we reached for when this happened over the weekend, the head of petroleum analysis at Gas Buddy. Uh, Patrick, put this in perspective for us here. When you take another million uh, off the table, does that ensure $100 a barrel? Where are we going? Well, it certainly increases the odds of us getting there, especially if the economy does uh, see some sort of growth here this spring and summer as the Federal Reserve starts to taper off and its interest rate increases. This could be problematic for the spring and summer, but as much as we're all focused on the price of oil with WTI up nearly $5 a barrel today, You'll notice that refined products are not seeing the same uh, type of response here with uh, wholesale gasoline prices up uh, just about half of what oil is seeing, up about 3%. So this won't necessarily translate directly down to, say, the diesel pump, diesel dispenser or gas pump, but certainly is uh, going to be making it a bit more challenging here uh, for gasoline and diesel prices. So this certainly could be a little bit inflationary. But again, we're in a kind of a uh, economic predicament where the economy is slowed down. Of course, the banking sector exacerbating some of the fears that we have about the broader strength of the economy. And with China not consuming as much now as they reopen, this could be more of a point of contention that is OPEC's production cuts. Uh, we'll have to see if if um, if, if China's consumption uh, continues to lag behind. But you know, all in all, as shocking as the move was. 
keep in mind, it comes at a, a backdrop that the economy is not necessarily on on two feet here. Mm-hmm. Well, I suspect the cut would not have happened if, if we hadn't seen the significant declines following the bank failures a couple of weeks ago. That's what drove this, uh, I mm-hmm. presume. When, when you hear John Kirby talking about it, though, speaking for the administration today, he says prices are around $80 a barrel right now. Uh, we're in a different place than we were last year at this time. They were trading around $110, $120 a barrel with predictions of continued and significant increases. Is, is is the slack demand offsetting this? Why is the White House not as worried as it might have been back in October? I, I think that that could be why. It's certainly how I feel about it, is that, you know, you look at some of the gasoline consumption numbers that we've seen here at Gas Buddy, and it looks like a very soft spring for consumption. So I think that's maybe why the administration feels a little bit differently, is that it just doesn't feel like uh, as tight as the situation did a year ago when, yeah. um, you know, everything was going wrong, from oil prices to refining capacity and, and, and turnarounds. Um, this spring feels much differently. Now, this spring also saw a lot of refinery maintenance, gasoline inventories are still at a point where they're relatively tight. So we're not out of the woods yet, but right. this feels dramatically different than a year ago. And keep in mind, U.S. oil production is up 500,000 barrels from a year ago as well. Certainly not really helped so much by the administration, but, you know, there could be more done there. Talk to us then about the SPR, because that was the first question everybody asked. Oh, my God, did the administration just miss its chance? It could have been buying oil in the upper 60 $70. Maybe they wanted it closer to 60 but they would have made money on that if they could put it together yeah. that quickly, Patrick. And I realize it's a lot more complex than, you know, logging onto your account and buying a bunch of oil. They have to put it out to bid. They have to, they have to you know, cover themselves in other areas. Uh, but, but was that a missed opportunity? Well, it certainly could. And, you know, the government just can't really act enough, uh, act fast enough in these type of instances, right, where uh, they have to go through the process of, of bids. Yeah. Um, and, and keep in mind, too, that this was going to be a fixed auction, which was uh, unusual for the Department of Energy uh, to have a fixed price auction where the government's not exposed to any, you know, price fluctuation. So they're, they're kind of on a learning curve with this. But it could be somewhat of a missed opportunity, especially if China does see a more robust turnaround and consumption goes up, then mm-hmm. it's kind of like the window has closed behind us. And, um, you know, it remains to be seen. I, I think there is a strong case that uh, that they may have missed, at least for now, the window, unless you go out several years where the, the broader economy slows back down. If you're looking short term, well, then it looks possible that the window has at least closed temporarily. Wow. That's saying a lot. Uh what are you looking at for gas prices when the driving season kicks in? We're getting close. Yeah, we certainly are. Um, our forecast was for an average price kind of close to where it is um, right now, the national average at 350 a gallon, a level that we haven't seen since uh, earlier this year and late last year after uh, cold weather. But, um, you know, I, I, I still think there is the possibility, especially now, uh, with OPEC's production cuts, that that could propel the national average briefly to over $4 a gallon this summer. Um, I still don't think we're going to be in, in much of a risk of seeing last year's you know, $5 gallon prices. But the OPEC cut certainly is going to make it a little bit more difficult on Americans that are planning to hit the road for the spring and summer. But I'm hopeful that we won't see $4 consistently through the summer. Mm-hmm. But having said that, obviously, the risk is that there would be a further upside uh, if OPEC does continue to tighten the belt or if something develops between now and summer. Sounds like you're you're more focused on economic growth, refining capacity, the numbers of barrels being produced today. Is that fair? 
Yeah, you know, I'd say so. And I, I think at least on the refining, especially in light of ExxonMobil's uh, Blade Project reop- or opening in Beaumont, um, there's a little bit more breathing room. So this feels differently right now. We're a little bit more concerned on, on hyper-focused on the price of oil, but at least we have a little bit more breathing room, right? Crack spreads actually down today, plummeting the crack spread today down $2 a barrel. And that's indicative of refineries that may have a little bit less incentive to uh, produce as much gasoline, but uh, there's still gasoline stockpiles are very tight. We're still in the time of year when we're transitioning to more expensive summer gasoline, which is lower RVP. So mm-hmm. there's still a lot that could go wrong. And this certainly is a very bullish case for the price of oil. Yeah. And, and the oil stocks themselves, which is always interesting to see them move, but not necessarily some of uh, some of the, the refined products. To your point, Patrick, what are those traders looking at? Shouldn't they be trading in sync with crude oil? Well, you know, a lot of the time, they, the relationship is strong between the price of oil and refined products like diesel, uh, diesel and gasoline, but not always. Um, and right now, you're, you're kind of seeing that that rift, that uh, oil stocks that are not exposed to the downstream and just the upstream are having a fantastic day. But the refined stocks that are focused more on the downstream aren't so much having a great day. And that's simply because some of the economics aren't there yet for gasoline consumption. Um, you know, as I mentioned, inventories are tight. Gasoline inventories, uh, you should keep an eye on those moving forward. But we're still in probably the seventh inning of, of refinery maintenance season. And gasoline consumption, like I said, has been a little lackluster this spring. Now, if that turns around, refining uh, stocks could see a little bit of a break and you could see crack spreads strengthen. But for now, I think as we continue to see refining capacity go up more so globally, Crack spreads are going to be under considerable pressure this year as compo- uh, as uh, compared to last year. We spent a lot of time recently talking about the Willow Project that the Biden administration uh, greenlit, uh, which will bring, I believe it was a 600 million barrel project, uh, quite a bit more capacity online. Is that far enough out that it's not part of your forecast? Will that have a meaningful impact once it actually starts working? You know, it, it, it'll have a meaningful impact, you know, years from now when everything does get online. It's not really so much a part of our forecast in, in the short term here. But, you know, it is important from the optics of the administration going ahead and approving it. That is something that could have more of an immediate effect. But, um, again, it's been tough to difficult this this administration and, and what they would green light and what they would cancel or what they would shut down. So I think it's hard to go off of that. But certainly is positive for American energy in the years ahead, you know, potentially to offset part of these decisions, these arbitrary decisions from OPEC to cut production. So hopefully that will help insulate the U.S. down the road, keeping in mind a lot of the conversations about the transition over to EVs makes it a little bit more of a complex uh, talking point. Yeah. Patrick, many thanks, as always, for jumping in with us. Patrick DeHaan, the head of petroleum analysis at Gas Buddy. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Well, the whole Donald Trump story has evolved greatly since we last spoke. He's actually in the air right now. Wheels up on Trump Force One. We saw him take off from Florida. He's on his way to New York tonight. He will sleep at Trump Tower, surrounded by many barricades and probably a lot of supporters who are out there 
apparently first thing this morning. And then tomorrow, the uh, the big arraignment, 2.15 p.m., and we know a little bit about how that's going to go. What we still don't know is what he's going to be charged with. Let's reassemble the panel. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are here. Bloomberg Politics contributors are signature panel on a Monday. Jeannie, you must be excited. I don't know if you've already been down there to Trump Tower, but I understand it's quite the scene, and it really kicks into high gear when he lands uh, I, you know, you've called him a master at this kind of thing before. He's turned this into two days of coverage that will culminate with a primetime speech tomorrow. Anything you would add to his schedule here? Uh, you know, he has made the most of this. $5 million in 48 hours is quite a haul. Um, there's that, too. There is that. There is the rise in the polls. We don't know how long that will last. There is a circus atmosphere in southern New York, in southern Manhattan, I should say. And, you know, I just have to share with you, out of New York, where we are all waiting with bated breath, that comes the New York Young Republicans Club. They mm. issued a manifesto proclaiming their allegiance to President Trump and the language of it is utterly stunning. They're talking about things like he embodies the American people, our psyche from id to super ego. I won't go on, but <laughs> this is how, you know, at least some faction of the party and these are young Republicans in New York feel. I we don't suspect there's going to be a rally with 36,000 police officers, but we know Marjorie mm-hmm. Taylor Greene says she's coming here as well. So, it's ah, going to yes. be quite the moment if we can only add George Santos, it will be a party. Yeah, well, Look, I wouldn't put it past him to let an opportunity like this because, you know, we're not in session here. Uh, Rick, the speech seems to be, you know, quite the touch. And he's inviting actual not just supporters, but lawmakers who support him to Mar-a-Lago for what he's going to do. I guess like this administration and exile uh, routine for for the rest of the campaign. Smart move. Yeah, I mean, he's trying to design his presidential campaign around almost like a re-election, as if he is still president of the United States and uh, trying to surround himself with all the different accoutrements of power. And even though he hasn't had that many uh, big high profile endorsements, uh, I think it's incumbent upon them to show that they're keeping the ones that they still have. And so there's some defensive move here to show that nobody is uh, leaving the family just because I've been indicted. Um, But it's also consistent with the theme of his campaign, which is I never really left power. I never actually got beat. I never, you know, like the narrative around him is so much that uh, I've always still president. I just, I'm not occupying the White House yet. Yes, right. It, it, it could be very effective. I suspect he'll get monster ratings tomorrow night as well, Jeannie. This whole thing probably will. But, uh, you know, the idea of adding the speech, whoever came up with it, seems to be a good one. When you're also trying to look, I don't want to say presidential, but like you're still viable. That's right. And, you know, to Rick's point, what's stunning to me is, you know, when is the last time in American history a former president got more media attention and media coverage than our current president? You know, (laughs) Joe Biden, who is he? He seems to be off somewhere in Minneapolis talking about something, but nobody is talking about what he's doing. And maybe that's okay for the Biden administration now, but it really does show Donald Trump is sort of like, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to compare him to Teddy Roosevelt, but he's trying to make this case that, you know, he's still 
still there, just reelect him and put him back. And mm-hmm. it, it's really surprising from that perspective. And so, you know, I think one of the big questions to your point is how many of these Congress people actually go to the speech. I think that's going to be telling, you know, OK, maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene, maybe some of these diehards. But does anyone unexpected go? That may show that he commands a lot of support in the party. Otherwise, I think he could be setting himself up for, you know, looking a bit, uh, you know, a bit of a downer if it's not as big as they expect it's going to be. Well, we'll see what which Donald Trump shows up as well. Right. If this has a, a rally feel to it or if it's, you know, if it's the retribution sort of funeral uh, scene that that we've also been introduced to, Rick. Uh, but my goodness, the, he's he's got the recipe here for some big ratings. He he went into New York a day early. Wonder wonder what you make of that other than he likes to get a chance to visit Trump Tower from time to time. He's going to do a whole golden escalator thing tonight, right? He's going to walk outside. There there are many opportunities for free media and optics today, uh, just in itself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is his uh, playground, right? I mean, he established himself as the king of New York for many years, and this is kind of a homecoming. Uh, I don't think it's exactly what he'd planned in the sense that, you know, it's sort of the golden handcuffs homecoming. Uh, But (laughs) the reality of it is, is that um, this is the part he actually knows. I mean, defending the, the Trump brand in the greatest city in the world, um, and he'll do his star turn here. But I agree with you. I think that, you know, even though I think it's a good idea for him to set the record straight tomorrow night uh, and put out his own message, he's got he's in a dangerous new place because the reality is everything he says now is in the construct of being a hmm. criminal defendant. And he can't just go you know crazy on the judge without invoking a lot of rules around jurisprudence. So and that brings us back to the gag order that we talked about last week, uh, Jeannie, with some of the, the, the language we heard over the weekend and now claiming that this judge uh, who will preside over the case hates me in in all capital letters. Uh, at, at what point does this is this going to be stopped, uh, like on the first day of the trial or, or how long can it go on for? Yeah, I think one thing we're watching for tomorrow, does the judge issue a warning to Donald Trump that he is going to have to tamp down on the, on the rhetoric and or does he issue a gag order in advance? I, I, I can't imagine that, but it's mm. possible. And then to Rick's point, anything Donald Trump says after that puts him in real criminal danger. And, and that's a problem for Donald Trump. The other thing I would say about this homecoming, I actually rewatched this this weekend when Barack Obama roasted Donald Trump in April <laughs> at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Yep. This is Donald Trump's biggest nightmare. He's a Queens guy. He wanted to be respected by the elites in Manhattan. He's coming back at a moment when he is being looked down upon now as a potentially criminal, criminally indicted. And this is something, no matter how much bravado we see, that is devastating for a man at the end of his, potentially his career, and looking forward to the rest of his life to be thinking he could be sitting behind bars in the embarrassment of that. I don't care what he says. This is not the way you want to go out. Well, he'll do the whole Fortress Trump thing tonight. They can't get me here. But tomorrow could feel a little different. Uh, We're going to talk to Mick Mulvaney uh, next hour, Rick, because, you know, the narrative was that not only was Donald Trump surprised that actually happened, but that he was actually scared that that there were reports from inside Mar-a-Lago not to overplay this. But, that you know, it's not that he was looking forward so much to the perp walk. He's actually kind of freaked out the idea of finally being arrested. I mean, no one would enjoy that process i'm assuming including him despite the secret service standing there with you that's right i mean this is an element of lack of control that he is not used to short of being arrested you can pretty much dictate terms to the legal system if you're donald trump but the minute you're actually arrested 
then it's the legal system that's dictating terms to you. And right. that lack of control, that 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 that's going to be something I think is going to be quite scary to, to Donald Trump. You both assume we see a mugshot, right? We were joking about it last week, but that is, he, he is going to have his photo taken. Jeannie, is it going to leak? Oh, it's going to leak. Marjorie Taylor Greene says he should smile and they're going to use it for posters. Um, <laughs> I think they may send it out. But listen, as he watches Alan Weisselberg go through this not that many months ago and go to jail, mm-hmm. reports are that that really, really did frighten him, that somebody in Weisselberg's position, his former CFO, could be subject to that. And now here he finds himself in the same potentially same situation facing you know upwards as we understand to maybe 30 counts against him that is a lot for somebody to handle and maybe this the first of many shoes to drop as we go through this indictment primary season mm-hmm. well at least we'll <laughs> that's in all caps we're going to brand that uh, for indication Jeannie. primary <laughs> season i should say <laughs> very good uh look at least we'll find out what the charges are at last do either of you think that this trial will be heard or or completed before the election in 24 rick do you uh yeah i'd be skeptical uh especially considering we don't know what the charges are and i wouldn't be surprised if this prosecutor's got a few tricks up his sleeve you know he Mm -hmm. faked everybody out with the indictment itself nobody saw that coming in the way that he did it and 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 everyone's trying to speculate what these 30 charges are but nobody really knows uh, and so I think this could last a while. And and certainly I think it's in Donald Trump's interest to try and drag it out, because I, I don't think he wants to leave this to a judge or a jury to decide right. anytime soon and actually affect his election campaign. Absolutely. We know they're going to fight it, Jeannie. Does this happen before the election? Oh, I'd be surprised if it happens before the election. And so this is where we are at, at a time in which we are going to be literally on the face of an election with a president under criminal indictment in one or more jurisdictions. Unbelievable. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Sound here from the airport, Palm Beach, Florida, as Trump Force One, just about an hour ago, prepared to take off. He's on his way now. And of course, what we're going to see over the next couple of days uh, is what I imagine will be 
world-class theater. We know about the arraignment. We told you about that scheduled for 2.15 tomorrow. But this decision by Donald Trump and I suspect his inner circle here to come up a day early is, is somewhat fascinating. I'm just, as I talk to you, looking at the video here of the, uh, the jet takeoff. He's going to be in town tonight. He's going to sleep at Trump Tower where the barricades are up, the protesters, the news media, all outside. Massive uh, spectacle, I should say. You know he's coming down the escalator later. I'm predicting that just on my own. You know that he's going to interact with some folks outside when the SUVs roll up. I mean, this is going to be, this is, like I said, big-time theater opportunity. And then tomorrow, my goodness, not only the arrival at the courthouse, maybe he speaks after, but he's flying back to Florida tomorrow night and he's going to be delivering a speech in prime time from Mar-a-Lago. Will everyone carry it? I'm assuming that's a big yes. We're going to bring you to Trump Tower uh, first up here. Uh, Simone Foxman is doing God's work by standing out there all day just to get a glimpse of what's going on here and get a sense of the energy and, and any news that might break out. And Simone, it's great to have you. What is happening as we await for his arrival at Trump Tower? Well, Joe, it's, it's not as hard work because it's gotten a bit warmer over the course of the day. So <laughs> Very right now, good. But right now, the biggest contingent is still journalists. There are, looks like, hundreds of journalists really packed out here doing live shots, um, you know, standing out here for any sign of, of <laughs> stuff happening. We've seen a few protesters, a little bit on both sides of the aisle, some uh, with Trump for President 2024 signs, some with a sign saying, lock him up. Um, right now, we can just kind of get the sense that there's, there's energy building here. It's gotten progressively more busy. Everyone's sort of contained behind these barricades. We can't get really that up front and close to Trump Tower at the moment. I'm but sure. I, I do wonder if we'll get access to kind of see Trump come down that uh, golden, golden elevator. Uh, a big question for me. Um, we're waiting, of course, for Trump to land and then come here to Trump Tower. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, for those who did come to protest uh, even Trump supporters, Simone, is there an area that's set up for them that's been kind of cordoned off or they just don't want anybody around there? Yeah, there is an area. They're standing. Um, no one's been allowed in front of Trump Tower at the moment. So they're standing on the next block. And, of course, we're across the street from them. So we've seen them putting up signs, seen more and more people kind of coming there with flags and the like. Yeah. Uh, as to your point, though, reporters are outnumbering protesters, which is kind of all you need Absolutely. to know for this stage of the game. Simone, thank you, and stay safe where you are. Simone, Soxman, uh, Simone Foxman, easy for me to say, reporting for Bloomberg uh, from outside uh, Trump Tower. Mick Mulvaney joins the conversation, as he does each week at this time. And boy, has this worked out into a, a recurring series of conversations. Mick, it's great to have you. The former acting White House chief of staff, of course, former OMB director and former member of Congress, uh, I suspect you're watching this unfold like the rest of us, Mick. What do you make of, of the sort of optics that have been built around this? It's classic Trump, isn't it? Oh, Joe, I just look forward to the times when we can talk about things like the economy and inflation. Yeah, but, it'll, oh, it'll happen. Is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, uh, a couple things. I was listening to your interview there with Simone. A couple things to, to, to think about. Um, this is Trump's decision, not his inner, in that his innermost circle. This is what he does best when it yeah. comes to, to putting on the show 
Um, he's absolutely and unequivocally in charge. He, he's the one who decided to go up early. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to give Simone a heads up, my guess if there's one thing that might come up that's unscripted is that with this possible gag order looming as of tomorrow afternoon, mm. um, don't be surprised if Trump decides to uh, to sort of beat that by making a long statement today. Yeah, that's just a it's sort of a gut feeling on my part. But if he's worried about a gag order, obviously if there's a gag order in place, he could get in trouble if he says the wrong things. That gag order doesn't exist today, so maybe today he goes and uh, and speaks from Trump Tower wow. uh, in an impromptu uh, presentation. Yeah, I, you know, we were talking about that possibility earlier, Mick. Do you think that gag order is guaranteed? I don't know. It's guaranteed. I don't know enough about criminal procedure to know. I know that generally speaking, um, I've seen them put in place before to try and prevent the tainting of a jury, or at least to help guarantee the, the, the disinterested nature of, of a jury. Yeah. Um, and certainly um, Trump would not be beyond making as broad a public statement as he can. Um, you know, you hear talk about them trying to move the case to a Staten Island, perhaps move it upstate New York. Um, but Trump's presence on the media especially is worldwide. So um, if they don't put the gag order in place, what are the chances of him uh, influencing a jury? Probably very high. Right. So I, I was speculating he comes down the escalator, he interacts with some folks, maybe signs some autographs. That alone is going to lead the newscast tonight. But to your point, he adds even more to that. And of course, you know, everyone's going to carry it. How about this primetime address tomorrow? Also, classic Trump, but, a, but an effort to look presidential, I presume. He's back in his own environment at, at Mar-a-Lago. And at 8.15, who can resist uh, but to carry it? Yeah, I think the interesting thing there, obviously, in addition to the gag order, if it's in place or not, you'll see two entirely different speeches. In fact, there's a chance maybe he doesn't give a speech tomorrow if there's a gag order, because, again, um, Trump likes to go off script. He's good when he goes off script. Um, mm-hmm. But if you go off script with a gag order, you run the risk of a criminal contempt <laughs> charge, which is a really, really bad thing. Yes. Um, so if there is a speech tomorrow, what I'll be looking for is what parts are scripted. And you can always tell what Donald Trump when he's reading a teleprompter versus speaking from his gut, mm-hmm. uh, I'll be interested to see the distribution between what is, uh, what's read and what is said out loud. What do you make of the response that we've been hearing from Republicans pretty much in lockstep, uh, calling this, you know, the, the zombie case, the witch hunt and so forth? Is he, is he getting the, the, the loyalties that he expects from Republicans here in Washington, Mick, and the, the way they're interacting with media? Yeah, I don't think it has to do with loyalties. Look, I don't consider myself uh, bound to him in any way. I'm a critic of the president when I think he deserves it. But I've been defending him up to a point because this certainly looks political, right? Again, no human being has ever been convicted of this. As far as I know, only one person has ever been charged with it. You've got a DA who ran on the plank that's saying, elect me and I will indict Donald Trump. I'm not sure how you'd do that and not have it be accused of being political. So now the Republican response isn't is not as interesting to me as the democrat response they're awfully quiet and i saw some reports today that jen Psaki was actually encouraging folks in her party to remain quiet and i think there's two reasons for that joe number one if it is as weak a case as the reports make it out to be you know how does it look to democrats who sort of you know lock him up lock him up lock him up and then have him walk on a not guilty charge but i also think under that and this is more interesting to me i've talked to some democrat friends who are really concerned about this precedent um, that now that we've down this, you know, there was always talk about locking up Hillary Clinton, but they never sought to do it. Now that we've crossed that Rubicon, you know, where is the Dem- where's the Republican state attorney general out there going, you know what, I want to get elected. I'm going to run under a campaign of elect me and I will indict Nancy Pelosi. I think Democrats, smart Democrats are worried about the president here, and that interests me as much as the Republican response.
Well, we've still heard nothing from the White House either. Uh, is that just is that the same sort of uh, causality there, or is there something else for Joe Biden to to keep quiet about, not knowing what the charges are? Yeah, you, well, you don't. First, there's a bunch of things, right? You don't know the charges, and that's a great point. And not enough people have focused on that. We're all assuming that the leaks have been right, and maybe they are, maybe they're not. Yeah. So it's probably smart to, to to not make any sort of commitment, or at least uh, indefinite or definite statement. I also think the Biden administration knows they've got some issues, you know, with his own family on potential criminal charges. Mm-hmm. And then I think, bottom line, it's just smart to be quiet sometimes. Um, you know, it was never Donald Trump's strength. Joe Biden is pretty good at it. So if, if I'm in the White House, if I'm Jeff Zients, absolutely, I'm looking at him and Mr. President, there is no upside, zero, for you to weigh in on this. Let the system work out. You roll off and run the country. You look competent. Let the circus go on. Um, that would be the advice I'd give him, and uh, maybe it's the advice he's taking. We're spending some time with Mick Mulvaney here on Bloomberg Sound On. I spoke uh, back in February, Mick, with Asa Hutchinson, uh, maybe a friend of yours, who is now uh, – officially a presidential candidate. He hasn't had an event yet, but he told ABC News that he's going for it. And I asked him about Donald Trump and what this race might unfold uh, or turn into if he did, in fact, jump in as he is now. And I want you to hear his response and tell me what you think. Well, I think he sort of beats himself. Uh, you know, you look at uh, what happened on January 6th and what how he's conducted himself uh, even since uh, he lost the election. And it's not uh, bringing out the best of America, not bringing out the best of our democracy. It's appealing to our worst instincts. Mm. And so uh, I see uh, his support diminishing over time. You might agree with all of that, Mick, but how do you come into this cycle with this Republican Party talking like that? Um, You don't. Uh, I like Asa. We're not friendly. We're not friends, but we are friendly. I met him a half a dozen times when I was in the White House, and he seems Mm -hmm. like a very competent uh, and gentlemanly man. Um, but you don't. You, you, you can't beat Donald Trump right now in a Republican primary uh, unless something dramatic changes. Uh, keep in mind, this makes it even more likely, the events of the last week make it more likely that Trump wins the Republican nomination. Why? Because we're having this conversation. We're not talking about Mike Pompeo's ideas. We're not talking about Nikki Haley's ideas. We're not talking about Asa Hutchinson's ideas. We're talking about Donald Trump. And keep in mind, this is just the first of what could be as many as four criminal charges in the next several months. So Donald Trump is going to suck all of the air out of the room. And as as, as correct as Asa Hutchinson is about, you know, people are tired of this, and I think he's right. And I think certainly it won't prevent Trump from winning a general election. Um, When it comes to a primary, how are you going to get any, any, any distance from Donald Trump when you have to defend him? Again, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, Tim Scott, DeSantis have been defending Trump. I've been defending Trump because we see this as a political witch hunt. So it's one of those strange circumstances where even though it's, it's, you know, you've been charged with a crime, it may make it more likely that you're the Republican nominee. We were talking about some new polls uh, with our political panel. You've got Trafalgar today, Trump up 33 over Ron DeSantis. Yahoo News, YouGov from yesterday, he's up 31 over Ron DeSantis. Does the governor of Florida change his mind at this point, or does he need to have a media blitz coming off uh, whatever happens with this arraignment to stay in the game? Yeah, those are two numbers I've not heard before. Um, I, I take the Yahoo, YouGov, and throw them in the trash. Trafalgar's the real deal. Um, I know those folks. They're tracking they pretty really, close. They are, re- they are, they, and they are. But I, I, but I, you, I would, I would, you can stop at Trafalgar as far as I'm concerned. Those are mm-hmm. probably some of the best guys in the business. And so how does it affect Ron DeSantis? I think Ron 
is playing it exactly right, which is, look, he's not in yet, right? So what difference does it make? He doesn't have to make a decision on this, Joe, until, I mean, August, maybe at the very latest. People forget that. I think Rick Perry was the last person in the 2012 race, and he didn't get in until August or September. So it, even though it's, you know, other folks have gone already, as long as you're out there doing what you need to do, and DeSantis is on a book tour, he's raising money, he's doing all the, all the right things, you don't have to really formally decide for several months yet. And I think a wait-and-see attitude is probably the smartest thing to do. Well, you know, we're talking about some folks who might not agree with Donald Trump but but are supporting him in, in this case. You, you can add Ron DeSantis. Here's what he said over the weekend. He doesn't want to charge people with felonies. So now he turns around purely for political talking about purposes. talking the DA here and indicts a former president on misdemeanor offenses that they're straining to try to convert into felonies. That is when you know that the law has been weaponized for political purposes. That is when you know that the left is using that to target their political opponents. Big round of applause on that. I can tell you this, uh, these Soros-backed DAs, they are a menace to society. They are a menace to the rule of law. Stealing a, I think that's actually a, a Trump phrase, menace to society. Uh, Mick, is he saying the right things for this stage? You know, just listening to that, I've got an idea, which is this, is that, okay, if that becomes the issue, and it, it, it may well, and by the way, I think it should be. I, I do worry about the weaponization of government against political um, enemies on both sides of the aisle, by the yeah. way. Um, if that becomes the issue, then the question becomes who on the Repu- – if, that, if that's a big issue for the Republicans, and it looks like it might be. Who of the candidates is the best suited to deal with that? And maybe that's where DeSantis needs to go or the other candidates need to go, which is, look, Trump is an example, but I'm, I would be better at fixing it than he would. Maybe that's the lane you're trying to carve out for yourself at this point. I don't know, but that's what I thought of when I was listening to that uh, audio just now. What do you make of the constant Soros-backed uh, trope? Is that, is that fair? We're hearing it every, every reference there is to D.A. Alvin Bragg. Yeah, I, I don't know. if I, I mean, I don't know if it's been you know, market tested or anything like that. It seems to be what everybody's talking about. It's always nice to have a punching bag. Um, I don't know if it moves the needle one way or another. Again, if everybody's talking about the same thing, how do you, how do you get separation from the rest of the pack? Hmm. The question becomes, what makes you different? What makes you better? Why should I vote for you instead of Donald Trump? If I think the world is going in the wrong direction, why are you more likely to move it back to Donald Trump? That's what they have to answer. Mick Mulvaney with us on Bloomberg Sound On. Of course, the former acting White House Chief of Staff with a prediction. You're at Trump Tower. Hang out for the speech. Mick, thank you as always. This is Bloomberg. Thanks for listening to the Sound On podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.